It is January 2nd, 2021. My name's Anthony, and this is Time Lapse, the podcast where cars and watches are the focus, but 2021 is the reality. Let's get into it. Happy 2021, everybody. Uh, welcome back to Time Lapse. Anthony here again, and I'm so happy to be uh, to be broadcasting out on January 2nd. I am welcomed today by a special guest and fan of the show, Andrew. How are you, buddy? Hey, Anthony. Good. How are you? Very good. Very good. Uh, another another guest on the show uh, that I, uh, uh, that I we we met through Red Bar, kind of similar to uh, to Mark. Um, and, uh, and of course you're a fan of both cars and watches makes you perfect mm-hmm. to, to come on the show. And we got a whole whack of stuff to talk about today. Cause it's been how many months since I've seen you? How many months? Jesus. So last Red Bar I attended was actually the one I met you at. That was the one where the notice guys were in. So probably yeah. last, not last March, last, last March. Oh boy, yeah, that was yeah, geez. that was a very long time ago. <laughs> that was a yeah, that's crazy. I remember that was when we had the notice yep. guys on the podcast, and uh, they had just mm-hmm. uh, released the retro retrospect two, uh, yep. which to this it. day is my favorite my favorite model by them. Uh, yeah, they're they're mm-hmm. a great uh, they're a great duo there. Um, but but we have a whole again, like I said, a whole whack of stuff, cars, watches to talk about. But before we get into that, you did reach out to me earlier and mentioned uh, that you want to dedicate uh, today's show to somebody. So I'll let you go ahead. And uh, yeah, um, so unfortunately, this past October, uh, I lost my godfather in a uh, in a motorcycle accident. Uh, it's Thanksgiving weekend. It was a beautiful day, and uh, you know he he got into an accident. Is uh, we don't know anybody's at fault. We don't know uh, what the police report came up with yet, but. Uh, yeah, he was a complete motorhead. He loved his motorcycles, so I wanted to dedicate this episode to him because he'd be he'd be very proud listening in when this does get released. If he was with us, for sure, brother. My condolences, yeah. and uh, and uh, definitely, I know uh, he, he's he's listening right now, and I'm sure he's gonna he's gonna enjoy the show for mm-hmm. sure. Um, so uh, kind of a segue into that, uh, or, or from there, you know, I, I did want to touch on on motorcycles, uh, and and you know, I'm a big uh, motorcycle nut. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, you know, when you, when you had mentioned this to me yesterday, it kind of struck a chord with me. I'm actually selling my bikes, um, because, because of how, you know, dangerous, uh, they, they are, uh, it, mm-hmm. it's real. And yes, there are ways to, to ride safely. Of course there are, um, there's definitely strength in numbers, mm-hmm. but I found myself often alone, uh, out on the road at, at the picturesque times, which are dusk and dawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yep. uh, it, it was just too much of a strain on my loved ones. And, and like, even more importantly, even if yeah, I always made it home safe, thank God. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I was alone and that time spent alone, uh, it just wasn't worth it for me anymore. So, uh, I am actually selling, uh, well, I, I have one motorcycle and one Vespa. I call them both motorcycles, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, I'll be selling those. And, um, it's kind of a turn of the page. A lot of the show has uh has been uh you know about my my passion for motorcycles and I still love mm-hmm. them I still think they are the ultimate expression of of like man and machine uh but mm-hmm. it just doesn't fit my lifestyle right now and uh and that's why I totally I totally understand and and I feel for you and your family man it it is a it is a it, it's a thing I think a lot of people struggle with when they own the motorcycle and um uh, you know uh you know may he rest in peace um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah, and you know what? Thankfully, he wasn't alone. Um, 
I mean, his buddy, he was, he went to actually go fix his body cam. So his oh, buddy went up five minutes up the road to their next, I guess, checkpoint they have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah. And then 10 minutes went by and the buddy goes, what the heck's going on? Where's, where's John? So he goes back mm-hmm. and he, he saw the accident. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, it's, you know what? It is definitely strength in numbers, especially seeing, um, what was it? One of those Geico commercials where the guy's actually attached to the bike. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. beautiful <laughs> seeing them out in the wind. <laughs> right. And you know what? It, right. it, it's definitely cult following. Right. Yeah. So, it is. It is definitely something fun, and it is. Um, I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't say it's a cult, but it's definitely like a, a collective passion. I guess we all share. Sure. And you know, I've never been on a bike, but I definitely appreciate them and the freedom mm-hmm. that they give. It, like I said, it's the purest expression. Uh, I, you know, I'm thinking about <laughs> putting the money from the motorcycles into a convertible, and even the best convertible, the one I, I won't, I won't spill too many beans about this right now. Uh, but even mm-hmm. the best convertible still doesn't feel like a motorcycle doesn't uh, feel, yeah no anyway i could talk for hours about that but let's stick to the uh to the plan we'll start off with watches i know you're a huge huge watch uh fan i mean you you're you're not in the watch industry but uh you are studying right now uh, are, are did you finish uh your program yet or? no actually um so yeah i'm in my master's of architecture um Amazing. as of this past semester i'm halfway done so i got another year and a half okay. to go on that it's um, awesome. But yeah, like I mentioned, I'm in architecture and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a field of design. And if you think about it, everything needs to be designed, That's whether right. it be a watch, an engine, a transmission, you know, the, the lines on the, on the body of a car, it's, uh, it, they all relate. Mm-hmm. It all relates back to just pure design and everything needs to be designed. Right. And, and so I'm even sure, the good, the bad, yeah. the ugly, you know, yeah. it's a, it's all, it all, it all came out of somebody's mind. <laughs> even the, even the Hodinky travel clock, you know, that came out of somebody's mind. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, well, I just, uh, I, I, I love the watch meme, uh, you know, uh, phenomenon that's, that's kind of built mm-hmm. up over the last year. It seems like 2020 has yeah. been a big year for watch memes and mm-hmm. I don't, I don't blame Hodinky for selling a travel clock. They have an audience who will pay the money for it. They like, do it. Uh, but I just mm-hmm. find it so funny the reactions that people have. I think it has a lot to do with, uh, with just like the watch industry being a bit of a snobby, snobbery, uh, you know, industry, mm-hmm. and people fight against that sometimes too excessively with the meme accounts. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, you yourself, um, how'd you get into watches? How did how did that become uh, this part um, of your life? So one of my earliest memories of watches is actually driving across Blue Street and seeing the Burks on Bay and Bloor and they have a massive out of a Navitimer. I'm not sure if it's still there or not. But I remember seeing that that Breitling Navitimer and being like, oh my God, that thing is so cool. And since then I've always been interested in watches. I was I mean at that time I was really young and you know I had no idea what I was looking at really. But mm-hmm. uh, once I turned 16, my grandfather passed me down his Omega. He's, he's still with us. And, you know, I'm, I still get stories about this watch and what he's done with it and where he's been and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I got that. And I got I got curious. And, of course, with the Internet, <laughs> I mm-hmm. started researching and whatnot. Um, bought a Daniel Wellington. Biggest mistake of my life. <laughs> Mine was an original grain. Original grain, I guarantee, was a bigger mistake yep. than a Daniel Wellington. Try that. Try finding yeah. resale value on a wooden watch. But anyway, <laughs> didn't you? I'm surprised the maggots haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, you. Yeah, I, I yeah after I've that, seen... I started watching YouTube videos and realizing yeah. that I had. 
and then I was, and then, you know, from there, I just started building my collection for my 19th birthday. I got my Breitling uh, Super Ocean. That was my first big boy watch, I guess, if you don't count the Omega. Um, and from there, it just spiraled because <laughs> my parents, yeah. they saw, uh, they saw the passion in me and they just like, oh, shit, we done. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I know. Uh, yeah. So I, I remember seeing, uh, the Seamaster is beautiful, by the way. Um, it's, uh, it's Super Ocean. It, so, uh, yeah, the C. Well, I'm saying from the from the first one, I've seen photos of your Seamaster, right? Oh yes, yes, yes. Yep. It, it is a Seamaster, right? Yep. Not a uh, Constellation, because it's vintage. Uh... No, it is. It is actually Seamaster. I actually yeah. I forget half the time because it doesn't actually have Seamaster on the dial like a lot of the vintage ones do. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's that's yeah. kind of cool. So... Then it's like a sleeper Seamaster. <laughs> um, exactly. I, I've, I've seen the Breitling as well, and I remember uh, you were actually the first person I saw post about that watch because it, it's it's a watch I, I don't you don't see too many of on on Instagram, mm-hmm. um, and that just maybe that's the algorithm kind of pushing you towards Rolex and Omega. But uh, yep. I, I do like the uh, the Breitling, and um, since then you've become like a really big fan of Hamilton, haven't you? You have a couple. I of, have, uh... I have, I have one Hamilton, um, oh, and it's okay. the Murph. With the with the limited edition boxes, you know, it, it was actually insane. My dealer, I don't know how he he managed to get it. I got that for my graduation uh, from U of T a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it's it's such an amazing piece. It's so simple, but so versatile. Like I have it on a NATO right now, but I've worn it on other straps. I have a, a twenty-two millimeter bracelet I wear with it, and it's so it's I can wear it anywhere. It's actually the one I, watch I brought to Barcelona last February. Oh, nice! I, I actually. Brought, yeah. I think I think that's why I thought you had multiple Hamiltons is because you dress that one up all the time and it's always yep. looking different. Uh, but that's cool. I, I was going to say, I uh, when you first got the the Murph, I, I remember looking at it thinking, oh, what a beautiful watch. And I actually sold a watch and received cash plus a trade of a Hamilton, um, what's it called? It's a Hamilton Khaki Day-Date. Uh, I think they call it Khaki King. Oh, yes. Yep. And it's become my favorite, favorite tool watch. It goes in rotation with my Seamaster and Speedmaster. Like I, I absolutely adore that watch. 90 hour power reserve in a thin case, you know, with brushed, uh, brushed uh, case uh, design. And I, I just, I love everything about it. And it came to me as a trade. I didn't even, you know, never even looked into it. It's got no box, no papers. It's the only watch I have without that <laughs> stuff. But uh, it, again, I, I just absolutely adore it. I think that uh, Hamilton's done. A really, a really good thing uh, in the last few years, at least compared to my Jazz Master, which I I posted yesterday. I don't wear that at all. <laughs> it's it's like you know a the castle. khaki line is, yeah. It's the khaki line is just so versatile, and they have mm-hmm. they have so many you know models and designs under that name. It's it's kind of ridiculous, but it's a fantastic mm-hmm. product. They 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 really thought of everything. The only thing yeah. I don't like about it is the screw down. They don't have a screw down crown, and it's a hundred meters water resistant. You know, I feel what, like you have what is it about other, that? But... Yeah, that's true. What, what is it about I mean... that? That that because for me, and I know that this is the common thing. I know I'll never be diving with these watches. Like I would mm-hmm. probably sooner dive with a G Shock than I would one of these watches because I'd be afraid of, you know, not the depth, the banging, like you know, smacking it mm-hmm. into something. Um, well, that's that's what I'd be worried about too. And it's not necessarily like I know the watch would be able to take a hit, and the gas. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a new newer watch, you'll be fine. It's mm-hmm. if you hit it and you snag the crown on something, this and the crown comes off. That's oh, what I'm worried about, right? Because yeah. it's, it's not necessarily like you know screwing it down will help a lot, but it's it's not necessarily for the water resistance. It's for popping it off. It's like wearing a mouth guard while playing hockey. It's not for your teeth. It's for the 
concussion if you bite down on your jaw. Or on your that's teeth, true. Right? Hey, that's a really mm-hmm. good metaphor, Andrew. Thank you. That's. I hope that sticks in people's Thanks. minds. That's a. That's a really good way to think about <laughs> it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Amazing. Um, so yeah, you, you got the Hamilton. I recently you got a Citizen as well. I think I saw you post about. Is it a Citizen? Bulls is Boulevard. Oh, Citizen owns Boulevard. Right, That's so right. it's you know it, it uses um I think it uses a citizen movement actually um yeah I got that for, my girlfriend got it for me for my birthday uh, a few weeks ago oh nice nice and it's it's becoming it's becoming a favorite of mine as well because like the Hamilton I've been putting it on different straps and you mm. know the stock strap on it is it's actually really interesting um it's it's a two piece but there's on the uh, buckle side there's a bridge like a leather bridge that goes underneath it so it's like a half NATO half two piece oh, and it's cool. it's super comfortable. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I've never actually thought about it, like thought about that kind of design until I was holding it. I was like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> hmm. that's this pretty cool." Me, but, um, but yeah, mm-hmm. and you, you know, seen... I'm not a strap nut. But <laughs> I, I keep oh. talking about the straps. I'm not a strap nut. I was going to say, I... Design. <laughs> uh, for, for, <laughs> I know there's some people who are like very uh, OEM or nothing, right? They want the watch mm-hmm. the way it was designed. I can respect that. I mean, I, I like frankly, I put my my watches back on their bracelets quite often. But I do love dressing up a watch. Um, you know, this Nomos, for example, came on this brilliant uh, NATO um, from Nomos. And it's probably mm-hmm. the best NATO I've ever worn. I wish, though, I had the Nomos bracelet to put it on because then I think it would just dress it up and make it a you know a more robust feeling piece. But, yeah, I mean, I, I totally get both sides of the coin there. Um, speaking of Bulova, though, have you seen the new Frank Sinatra lines? I have, and I really do love them. Other than mm. the fact that it says Sinatra on the dial, I think they could have just kept it. That's a little you know, cheesy. Yeah, yeah. It is. It, Throw it, it on the back. And their marketing yeah, like, kind of cool with them too. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I like how they named them after um, his songs, right? And and mm-hmm. you know, I do I do like the designs. I think they're very like, especially for Bolivar. I, you know, I I think that they did a really really good job. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Just seeing Sinatra on the dial it makes it it's. It's kind. Of, it's almost like the the genericness of like the the Daniel Wellington name being kind of like the DW on the dial. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just yeah. It's, yeah, but at least Frank feels... Sinatra's a real person. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, but um, another another thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, I think you were just on a podcast recently, uh, or was that just like a Skype call? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. no, that was um, that was a podcast. Uh, Gentleman Pursuits. He's oh, uh, cool. his name is Ryan. He's from Vancouver, actually. And uh, his focus is on whiskey and watches, but you know, like like me being on here today, the focus was mostly on watches. Mm-hmm. Um, I do enjoy whiskeys and bourbons and scotches, but not to the degree that some of his other guests are. But I can uh, imagine, yeah, yeah I'm that was in the same it, boat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was um, it was a really fun podcast to be on. I do recommend you listen to it. Uh, For sure. Yeah. yeah, it's it's always a good time with them, and like you know, me listening to your podcast, always a great time listening to you and your guests and. Yeah, I mean, you know, especially in 2020. Mikey, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, <good> <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I'm going to, I'm actually, if Mikey's listening to this, I'm going to reach out to him. I, hopefully I can have him as a guest on uh, for an episode uh, this year some, at some point. I'm sure that uh, that we have a lot of cars and watches to catch up on. But um, as far as, uh, as far as that previous podcast, I, I saw you guys coined a term and I really, I really like it. Uh, I think it was called flexology. Uh, mm-hmm. and if you, if you will indulge me, I'd like to, to know a little bit more. I think I get kind of the gist of it, but uh, it's a really interesting idea. And I think it's very prevalent, uh, right now in, uh, in the watch uh, and the car community mm-hmm. by far. Absolutely. 
I mean, it just kind of came out of, of nowhere. We're just talking about uh, kind of the toxicity in the watch world and, you know, similarly in the car world. Uh, and so just about people, you know, flexing, whatever. I think Ryan used the analogy like, oh, here's here's my platinum Daytona. Like, you got this. Like, nobody gives a shit if you're flexing it like that. And then one of the other guests was like, oh, you got you to gotta put it in front of his car and then holding a cigar. It's just like it just gets too much. And, you know, flexception also came up. Right. And it's, it, yeah. <laughs> and you know what, it's, it's kind of, um, it, it doesn't give a good, a good insight on people looking into the hobbies, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be cars, watches, whiskey, cigars, whatever it's, it, it gives a very kind of masculine, toxic vibe that nobody really wants to join in on. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, it can definitely leave some people feeling, um, out of place, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I totally agree that it, it exists in, in both specific communities. Um, one thing, though, in looking a little bit deeper, diving, this is my sociology degree coming out. There's no flexology there, uh, believe me. <laughs> but um, one thing I think that the, the, the flexing aspect of it does, it does bring a lot of attention to both industries. Uh, the idea mm-hmm. that if you've, if you've succeeded in what we consider or what we consider success that you can treat yourself to luxury items like a nice car or a nice watch. Right. And it's, it is, I, I, you know, I think they've been, uh, masculine icons for a long time. Nowadays, I I think I see them both, uh, applying to both, uh, all genders, uh, and sexes. Uh, I think that it's kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's kind of transcended any specific gender, which is really nice to see. However, that yep. toxicity still exists because it's almost like a, uh, it's the idea of flexing that you you are you're you're indulging in this and showing it, especially with social media and everything, uh, to to show to others. Uh, this is what I've done. What have you done? What do you have? Um, the only the only benefit I see to it is that, like I said, it brings a lot of people in. A lot it catches a lot of eyes. But like you said, once you get into it, until unless you become uh, a hobbyist in it or someone who really truly enjoys, can enjoy a G-Shock as much as they can a Rolex or can enjoy a, a 98 Civic manual as much as they can enjoy a Lamborghini, until you've crafted your taste, I think, yeah, you'll always have the remnants of that flex, you know, mm-hmm. where, where your taste is always uh, kind of predetermined by how you flex on people. Um, right. it's unfortunate and that's, that's kind of what, what differentiates people who are really interested in cars and watches and people who are solely interested in it because of how it makes them look in the eyes of others. Um, exactly. Yeah. And you know what Mark said it best last episode mm-hmm. is that with Red Bar Toronto, you could have an SKX, you could have a G-Shock, you could also have, you know, whatever, Protect Philippe or Rolex or mm-hmm. Vacheron and it, it doesn't matter. And I think he even said, like, he'd almost be more interested in talking to the person with the SKX because it's something that they are passionate about. Whereas, say, the guy with the Vacheron or Patek would be like, yeah, I got this below retail investment. Yes. Yes. Oh, I was just going to (laughs) say, there's nothing worse than a conversation with someone who owns a Patek who Mm -hmm. only talks about the price they paid for it and and how much it's worth now. I get Mm -hmm. that. You could do that with many things buy low sell high and sure that's a nice part of the, the story right like whenever i tell people about the nomos i tell them i bought it on the used market values don't hold very well that's a part of the story but yeah it's 
it's less than its importance is less than the fact that I love the design of the dial. I love the color scheme. I love how thin this watch is. It's like a, mm-hmm. it's like a, it's like wearing a dinner plate on your wrist, but in the most comfortable way. Uh, and then all the right. cool stuff about Nomos as a brand, right? It that should be mm-hmm. a footnote. The price, what you paid for it, should be a footnote mm-hmm. in the grander in the grand story of the watch. Um, mm-hmm. But like uh, like I said, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of kind of something we're seeing a lot more now and i don't know if it's because people have found much easier ways to flex uh than than Mm -hmm. previous right now you just have to have an instagram account and you can start posting all these uh these beautiful expensive things and uh but yeah it's uh i think it's something that we're probably only going to get worse with time but uh, yeah i think places like or groups like red bar toronto help you find people right just like it did for us Mm -hmm. that that aren't interested so much in that, that I really want to focus more on talking about cool mm-hmm. things, things that, that uh, bring them joy, uh, things that, uh, that they can sink passion into. So yeah, that's uh that's kind of a depressing way to look at the watch industry in 2021, but <laughs> a lot of exciting <laughs> stuff happening. Um, I want to ask, what is your favorite watch right now? And I'm not talking grail watch. It doesn't have to be one you aspire to. Just a favorite, uh, something that, that you truly, in, you maybe hope to own one day, but something that, uh, that, that kind of keeps you chugging along, watch you really, really, truly like. I mean, in my collection right now, it's always going to be my Omega, my grandfather's Omega. Yeah. But the temporary ones, always they're, they're always rotating around. Like right now, I love the Boulevard Monica just got me, my girlfriend, and... Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's getting a lot of wrist time right now. Um, also, another one that keeps rotating is the Burchell and Taylor. I don't know if yes. you can see that very well. Oh yes, it, it always yes. it always circles back. It always circles back. <laughs> I have to tell you a story about that watch. And when you, because I, I I remember when uh, they did that giveaway, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember when when you won. My first in, my first feeling was like giant giant jealousy i was green with envy <laughs> when i saw that i was like how how did he win it it's anyway but but then i started thinking you participate in so many giveaways you are like the giveaway king you mm-hmm. deserve to win that piece i think that is the <laughs> ultimate ultimate giveaway uh you know like that is you can never do better than that it's rare it comes yeah. from two incredible incredible young men who mm-hmm. spent years making this beautiful beautiful timepiece it has that cool grand marnier uh you know moniker on the dial yeah. uh, you, that is good job sir well done <laughs> <laughs> thank you and actually it's coming up to a year now that i've uh, that i picked it up i won it mm-hmm. a year a year from my birthday so actually sorry the day after my birthday so it was the 19th wow we actually we picked my dog up from the vet we were in the car I like I started freaking out. I was like, "What the fuck?" And then my mom's like, "Why? What's going on?" I'm like, "Like, I'll show you when you get at home." <laughs> you won't understand if I tell you now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's too it's too complicated. It's too convoluted. Uh, oh yeah, no, but um, is... I mean, as for the giveaways, it's um, I guess it's just a product of the point of my life right now. I mean, I'm a student. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't necessarily uh, go and buy, you know, all the watches that I do love yet because i don't i don't necessarily have a career um and yeah it's just it's a fun way to actually get into it and meet you know cool people you know all the people who do the giveaways um they're very generous doing this out of the kindness of their heart whether it be a brand or you know a reviewer just somebody um just doing it just just for fun just be like mm-hmm. hey you know what i'm gonna do a giveaway here it is right and mm-hmm. uh you know eventually i probably will be doing my own you know start paying it forward giving back but 
I let the collection build a little bit before before I do that. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. You know, um, I want to share what, with you one thing about uh, about the you know the collection. When I was uh, when I first started getting into the hobby, I had a, a very modest five watch box, and it was just something mm-hmm. my mom bought for me when I was younger, and I was still using it, and it was completely fine. It was nice display, so you could see the watches in there. But eventually, I had six watches, so mm-hmm. I thought, you know what, for my birthday, I want a fifteen watch box. 15 mm-hmm. watches it's glorious it's in my closet right now i mean it's uh it's in a storage container uh somewhere with an undisclosed location uh <laughs> but uh so it, i you know I, I wanted this thing my my brother and my mom uh they 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 found it online for me they got it my initials aeg on it i was cursing them when they did yes. that now i said it has no resale value why would you do that but anyway so here I have this 15 watch box and at the tender age of like 22 or 23, I said, you know what? I have to fill this box. I have to fill it with watches. That's going to be my goal is, you know, start, start focusing on watches while building a vintage motorcycle and, you know, doing all the other things a 23 year old does stupid. Um, and now I find myself, I, I, I do intend to fill that box by the time I'm 80, you know, like (laughs) there's no rush. And it, the box is fine. I'm going to keep the box for the rest of my life. But there's there's no rush to have a collection of numbers. It's no, there isn't. Yeah, and you know, I just I just finished selling three pieces I had. They weren't high value pieces or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They're pieces that uh, I I did enjoy for a time, but they didn't see mm-hmm. wrist time. And I and I knew that it would be better in someone else's collection where they could truly enjoy it. And I made sure that every person mm-hmm. I sold to really was interested in the watch. It wasn't just like uh, someone trying to flip for whatever I did my mm-hmm. best, right? They could have obviously been faking, but I, I just think that that, that box is, is, is an example of how life is long. If you're lucky, mm-hmm. you know, knock on wood, life is long. And these kind of hobbies there, they should fill your life with joy. They shouldn't be one shotgun of a year where you buy 10 watches and then you're watching the market. It should be like that. It should be, it should be something that you collect over time. So, mm-hmm. you know, the old uh, Anthony of two years ago would have said, what am I going to do with this 15 watch box? I don't, I don't wear 15 watches. It was ridiculous. But no, now I look at it differently. You build them over time. And like you said, you're a student right now. You're going to have a long and prosperous career, I'm sure. And you will come across pieces throughout that time that, that you know, that will be something, a story, a collection of stories you that can then pass on to, to, your, uh, to your family. So... I, I think I feel like every watch conversation eventually ends with this. <laughs> it's uh, about like the, <laughs> the future, eh? how we're going to pass it down. But I mean, you you, uh, you even identified part of your story is your grandfather passing down his watch to you. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that's a tradition that you'll keep, uh, you'll keep, you know, going on. Oh, for sure. Uh, like that Omega is going to be going. It'll be hopefully for generations to come. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be incredible. Yeah. I mean, I have my uh, my great grandfather's pocket watch. And I didn't even know we had it. It was only when I started the podcast with Mikey and my dad heard about it. He's like, you know, I have your, your great grandfather's pocket watch. He received it from my grandmother on his 50th birthday. Um, and, you know, we, we again, I didn't know much about I knew a little bit about watch at the time. I didn't know anything about pocket watches. So I went and turned it and I couldn't believe it wound up like and it, it ticked and it ran. This is a watch that dates back to 1916. 
so my goodness. yeah, we're talking like the two years after the Titanic sank, this movement uh, was yeah. uh, was made. <laughs> you know, just to just to think, it's seen both were or one world war, one and a half world wars. Uh, it's just incredible, and all the trips my great grandfather made to and from Italy on a boat. Mm-hmm. You know, I worry about the water resistance of my nomos. This this fucking yeah. pocket watch <laughs> will have to take multiple uh boat trips to and from Doing the, two the different transatlantic Jesus. yeah like crazy and back then what do you think you think yeah he, he was probably sleeping on the on the deck of the boat like you know there's no <laughs> geez it's just it's just crazy but that's that's the that's the cool thing uh, it's one of the coolest things about these uh these uh these pieces is that they're not this there's what story yeah. can be told with this look at uh, tell mm-hmm. my kids how fit i was in 2021 no you know, it's yeah, no. not, it's going to break down before then, <laughs> but anyway. yeah, you won't be able to turn it on in like, what, maybe two years, three years. Yeah. And ultimately that's the downfall. I, you know, I keep, I, even with Mark, I was telling him about this thing, but it's, it's really enlightened me. It is a great tool. It's as good a tool mm-hmm. as any tool can be, but it's a tool with a lifespan. And that's what drives me nuts. There, there yep. is no lifespan with this. As long as you service it, it'll last forever. And that promise mm-hmm. is what draws you to it. This has no promise of, of longevity. It, you know, who knows it, the battery goes bad, the electronics go bad. That's it. What would be cool is to, to imagine a, um, you know, a situation in years to come where these are serviceable, right. Mm -hmm. And maybe people, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the same hobbyists who are into mechanical watches now have some kind of, uh, you know, fetish for this kind of stuff. Who knows? But we'll see what the future has to bring. Yeah. I mean, ultimately the Apple watch is kind of like our version of the quartz back in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Where people are like, hey, you know, this new technology came out. It's, I mean, relatively cheaper. I mean, Apple Watch is not cheap by any means. At, at first, Quartz wasn't cheap. And either. I guess that was. Matter, a... Seiko... No, I know. I was going to say, and probably back in the 60s, the, what is it? The, it was a Grand Seiko, I think, the first Quartz. Yeah. Something uh, like that. And, yeah. Or um, I feel like it was one of the other brands who came up with the first quartz watch. But I remember it was like crazy. Even uh, do you do you watch? Uh, there's a show I think on Netflix, Mind Hunter. No, I don't. Know if you've I don't. seen it, it's a show about detectives in the '70s or FBI agents, mm-hmm. sorry, in the '70s, and one of them is wearing a Hamilton Pulsar, the LED okay. watch. Well, the reason yep. he's wearing, they chose to wear that watch, is because that was like that was that was one of the things in the 70s that you bought if you were doing relatively well in life like it was an expensive watch mm-hmm. at the time <clears throat> but now you know LED like leds like it's completely you could you could buy a, a watch with similar technology for 25 dollars uh nowadays yeah. it's just that tech like technology gets cheaper with time uh, mm-hmm. versus craftsmanship is timeless that's that's i think always going to be the argument yeah. uh but anyway we this this could go on this is uh as mikey would say we're <laughs> we're, uh, we're beating a dead horse i think that's what we used to yep. say yeah, I can't remember, but um, maybe uh, maybe we can do a traditional time lapse uh, transition, an obvious one, into uh, cars. Uh, and uh, and I know I know you've been a car nut since <clears throat> I think I saw you post about your you have a three twenty eight. I want to say three thirty. So close. Thirty. Okay, <laughs> but it's the yep. it is the e not e ninety no e. You got to tell me. I'm never going to guess it. The E46. <laughs> E46. E46. Okay. Yeah. Which is a so classic at this point. Oh, it yeah. is. It's become a classic. And um, I mean, we love that car. My mom's been driving it. Uh, I think my dad got it back in 06 or 07. Mm-hmm. So we've been driving it, you know, 
for 14, 15 years and uh, we, we take care of it like you have to with any car and it, it, she runs she runs beautifully. You know, a few of the, the bumper clips have uh, kind of failed over the years with just people digging in parking lots and whatnot, but it's a fantastic car. It's a fantastic yeah. car. It, it It's, you know, three liter inline six. It, it purrs and, um, you know, sometimes she surprises us with, you know, a little light on here and there, but yeah you know with maintenance like watches she, she's gonna run forever those germans really know how to how to design an engine it, it's, the a, it's redundancy an awesome the redundancy found in german engineering is mm-hmm. incredible and mm-hmm. for for you know i spend most of my time around japanese cars the japanese are, are great at making a product that will run forever with very minimal maintenance the germans yep. want to make something that'll run forever but that will spend 50 percent of its time being maintained and the other 50 percent being enjoyed <laughs> thoroughly which is both are both Japanese and, and German are better than the Italians who just design something to be really pretty and run maybe 20% of the time, yep. the other, the other uh, time you're, or being able to be fixed with a hammer and a whack. Yep. <laughs> That's how my Vespa runs. If, um, if it, if it ever bogs down or anything, I know all I got to do is I can fix it with tape and a hammer. Uh, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's one of those things you said 2001 is, uh, is the, the year that it was made. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I I love German cars from that era. And I don't know if your if your if your BMW has the smell, but there's just a really good musk that comes out of those cars. Like uh like at least uh, German cars that are at least about twenty years old have this like rich leathery smell to them. I don't know what it is on the inside, but I find it in every German car I, I go into. It's it's something different. It, it has it, but also the smell of burning oil. <laughs> oh okay, yeah, <laughs> that that's bound to happen too, of course. <laughs> No, I, I mean, I'm joking. Last time we took it and I think uh, one of the mechanics spilled something is just it's burning off. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, no, it, it does have that. The, like, I mean, the craftsmanship inside is just as good as, as outside. Like the upholstery, mm-hmm. it's held up. We, you know, we got a dog a couple years ago. He sits in the back. It's, you know, it's, it's perfectly fine. It's, know, it's, just that, it's that German leather. Yeah. It's a four door. Yeah. OK. Yeah. yeah. So it's a practical car, relatively speaking. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's uh, all wheel drive or rear. It's rear. Right. If it was up to my dad, Crucial. he'd probably get the the 330i X and possibly mm-hmm. a hatchback. But I mean, yeah. it's I mean, it, this is going to go into the history of you know why I'm into cars because my dad he uh, for the longest time he worked in the, the dealership industry. You know, he was oh, cool. manager, salesman, like you know, up until a couple of years ago, he transitioned into um, software for mechanics, like estimating tools and you know, wow. all that, all that good stuff. Yep. Wow, that's really cool. I, that's that's like completely in line with what I. I mean, I, I'm a service manager, but uh, like we use Reynolds and Reynolds and uh, the new the new formats where yeah, like the technician recommends stuff right through the computer, it goes straight to the advisor, which goes to the customer. It's all digital now, and that's really helpful. Like it it, it makes it makes everything really seamless. That's cool. So um, where where like I remember you saying that he got really excited knowing you're going to be on the podcast. Like, has he has he been a major automotive influence in your life? Uh, Oh yeah, ever since I was a kid. Ever since I was a kid, um, he's moved around a whole bunch, you know, around the GTA. Um, but from as long as I could remember, he's—I don't know what deal he's had, but he—he would always be able to just bring home cars on the used car lot, whether yeah. it be for testing and and whatever. And uh, I guess the biggest influence is whenever he'd bring home something that's just a little bit out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like he would bring home, say, like. Um, yeah, like um, those old, uh, what is it called? The Pontiac Solstice, like the little two-door convertibles. He'd be like, hey, oh, let's go cool. have some fun just like in the summertime. And, yeah. 
Yeah, he he worked for GM as long as I've been alive, but he's also worked for for Ford, I think, for a little bit. Um, yeah, there's there's so many just funny stories of him bringing home cars and the, like, let's just go for a drive. Like one day he brought home a Boxster. I guess somebody was trading in for a Camaro or a Corvette, and it's just like. It's like, where's the engine on this thing? And that's when I actually learned yeah. about how flat floors, you know, you're practically sitting on top of them. It's like, why does this car have two tr- trunks, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, actually this, a flat it, like, six in the Boxer, which most people don't know. So the, really? the brand new ones have the turbocharged flat fours, brand new. They're the, mm-hmm. They have the uh, the moniker 718 Spider or, you know, mm-hmm. the, that, that stuff. That's That was a controversial thing. The reason I know so much about what most people would consider Porsche's most insignificant model is because, and you know what I was going to, I was going to hold off, but why not uh, for the sake of conversation? I think I told you a bit about this. The reason I'm selling the motorcycles is because we had a boxer show up at our dealership on trade. Very similar to your really? dad's story. Yeah. Uh, it's been, um, it was purchased by, uh, by one of the sales managers to, to use last year as a summer mm-hmm. toy. It's in great shape. Um, and uh, he's tired of it. doesn't really fit his lifestyle mm-hmm. for me it fits perfectly my life, my lifestyle. I trade one toy with only a one seater, my motorcycle for mm-hmm. a toy with two, uh, Ooh. and, and a f- trunk and a frunk. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, and I've learned so much about the Boxster. If you care to hear, I'll, I'll give you the whole history. It's actually a very interesting history, uh, with regards mm-hmm. to the Boxster. Do you care to hear it, Andrew? Do our, do you oh, yeah. our viewers you know, care I to love, hear? I love Porsche. I, I think oh, yeah. they'd care to hear. I mean, we are on a podcast of cars and watches. <laughs> that is true. Why don't we delve into my new favorite topic, the Porsche Boxster? <laughs> and for those of you who can't <laughs> oh, see this, neat. I've just held up a model car <laughs> of it. So um, back in, it, it starts with Porsche back coming out of the 80s. Uh, coming out of the 80s, they were not doing very well financially. They had a bunch of front engine models uh, that, uh, that people were fond of, but their, their business model was flawed. All these front engine models, the 928, the 944, I think they even had a 926 or something like that. Um, they, they, they were all using bespoke parts. There was no part sharing and it was very cost ineffective for them to keep producing these models. They had the, the 911, which was seen as the rich man's uh, Porsche, but they were trying to um, replace it with the 928, their V8 front engine car. Eventually, going into the 90s, uh, they were looking for some help uh, because this was not financially feasible for them. And they, uh, they actually met with some guys from Toyota uh, who told them, you need to start part sharing on your vehicles and you have to cut the waste, cut, sorry, cut, trim the excess, the excess mm-hmm. deemed uh, to be the front engine cars. So they said goodbye to the 944, goodbye to the 928, and they kept the 911. Again, they did chose that to be their flagship. Thank God they did because we've seen time and again, like how incredible these cars, like just beautiful. But Mm -hmm. if you'll remember, especially now we see a lot of them, there is a style changeover between the, Mm -hmm. I think the 964 was the last of the vintage looking 911s, the ones that have all Mm -hmm. creeped up incredibly in value. And then you have the new style 911 that has these integrated front headlights kind of like more seamlessly integrated into the front Mm -hmm. fascia. Yep. Anyway, so how did they get to that new changeover in design? Well, um, they spent a lot of money, and mm-hmm. this Porsche Boxster concept came out mm-hmm. before the 996 911. 996 being the first 911 with these oh, fried egg okay. headlights. So yep. this Boxster, uh, they didn't know it was going to be the Boxster at the time, but they, they need, this was supposed to be Porsche's turnaround. 
mm-hmm. when they um that that prototype that I just that was actually the prototype, not the actual car. That was first displayed the 1993 uh, North American International Auto Show, Detroit. That's also my birth year. Yep. So it took place in my birth on my birth year uh, <laughs> in North America where I live. They released that car uh, as the future of Porsche. It was a mid-engined car which the Boxster retained. Uh, it had a bunch of like cool tech, a little navigation screen, which in '93 was like, you know, this is like James Bond's car. Yeah, it was revolutionary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it had a, it had you know both a trunk and a frunk. It was uh, just a very, a very well thought out sports car. Fifty fifty weight distribution. Like this is what people wanted to see from Porsche. This was going to turn them around. And what they decided because of the part sharing is that when they decided to make the mid engine car the entry level vehicle so more people could buy into the brand they decided to adopt the new 911 to the same front fascia look and yes the first generation was not loved the 996 is often regarded as you know the the 911 that people don't like very much because of these fried egg headlights as you can see <laughs> they kind of look yep. like they're yeah um yep it still was the beginning of the Porsche, like the revel, like the the I would say, if there's because most Porsche designs are evolutionary, not revolutionary, but th- that was a revolutionary design. It was a it was a complete change up, and mm-hmm. the Boxster <clears throat> is the most, uh, or at least the first generation, the nine eight six. That is that retains the raw design, right? We talked a little bit mm-hmm. how, about how everything needs to be designed. This retains the raw design from that revolution where they said we need to turn the company around. This is what we have to do. And the most awesome thing for young guys like us, the most affordable modern Porsche is a 986 Boxster, you know, mm-hmm. and the only reason people, to, once you start researching, some people say no, is because of the infamous IMS bearing and some other uh, small engine quirks. But mm-hmm. the intrinsic value that comes along with this car, especially if, if you love Porsche or if you're a car enthusiast and the fact that you can buy a mid-engine convertible with 50-50 weight distribution with a Porsche badge on it for under, you know, $15,000 is incredible. Like, that's just incredible value. Yeah, it's so, insane. Yeah, I, I was, I've, I've been a Porsche guy since maybe coming out of high school. Like, I, I don't think I ever really looked at them before that. I'd always been mm-hmm. like, a, always been like a Ford guy. My dad always had F-150, so I always thought my first sports car would be a Mustang. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I became a Honda guy because I, I became logical. <laughs> Uh, yep. and, 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 and frankly, my two favorite brands are Honda and Porsche. Uh, and, and yep. I, I just, I, I love them both dearly for different reasons they're, they, they're perfect representations of what I said earlier about how Japanese designed something to run forever with minimal maintenance. The Germans designed something to run forever with scrutiny. Like you have to keep everything in top tip top, not shape. Um, yep. but yeah, yeah. So I, I, the deal's not done yet. So don't get too excited, but hopefully uh, this summer I'll be uh, I'll be driving home my 2000 and, uh, 2001 Porsche Boxster non S, but that doesn't matter. It's manual, and that's all I that's all I care about. That's all that matters at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's uh, a fun it, little I, car though. I like. Oh yeah, they're beautiful. It, they're and oh yeah, I I think that uh, part of the reason people don't li- people don't like them is because they live in the shadow of the 911 which casts the biggest one of the biggest shadows in automotive history what other car uh, brand like marquee sorry what other uh, model from a from a mainstream marquee has lasted as long as the 911 maybe the mustang um the mustang has been in constant production 
uh, as well. I think Porsche obviously has been interrupted a couple times, but mm-hmm. to to live in the shadow, it, it would imagine if Ford brought out a smaller sports car, smaller rear wheel drive sports car. Uh, how would that compare to the Mustang? People wouldn't like that either, right? We saw how the Fiesta ST and Focus RS, you know, there's a lot of hype when they came out, but they kind of tapered off because the older brother is always going to be the, you know, the the flagship sports car of the brand. And it's kind of a similar <laughs> thing with Boxster, but it's a, it's a phenomenal vehicle. Just, it, I guess you do have to appreciate certain things. You, if you're a high horsepower junkie or someone who wants to race from a stoplight, you're probably not going to like the Porsche Boxster. Or uh, if you know you're insecure about your masculinity, you're probably not going to like the Porsche Boxster. <laughs> it's a very soft car. It's not meant to, <laughs> not meant to intimidate. Uh, it's a it's a relatively soft car. Uh, so there's there's probably a number of reasons why people don't like them, but. Uh, if you can appreciate uh, balance and uh, and engineering, and and you and you like to tinker because you're buying a twenty something year old Porsche that's mid engine with a mechanical convertible top, things are gonna go wrong. <laughs> but yep, <laughs> but you, you have to have you have to have some kind of a thing. But yeah, so it's just funny that you said your your dad had brought home a Boxster. <laughs> I guess these things show up on used car lots pretty often. <laughs> but uh, yep. well, yeah. So, uh, you're driving the BMW now. Uh, what, uh, what, what, what car do you see yourself driving in the future? Um, that's really hard to say. Yeah. My girlfriend really wants a Tesla at some point. I don't blame her. They're fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There. So with, with that, like we're living at my parents' house right now. So whatever cars in the driveway or in the garage, you know, we could take, um, you know, for the longest time, we had a 2006 Buick Allure that my brother and I shared. And it's not it's not the most impressive car. It's your grandfather's Buick. Don't get me wrong. But it, it's like having it's like having a, a dumbed down Grand National engine on the yeah. front of your living room couch. <laughs> <laughs> that is, was the one they came a, supercharged, right? So the Grand Nationals did. The, Bu- the Buick that I had, no. They had mm-hmm. a Buick Allure Super, which had a naturally aspirated V8 in it. So oh, it's like wow. the Impala SS of the Buick lineup because it was a similar, I think, um, similar frame on them. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, you, like, the first time I saw it, it was like maybe a year and a half and owning mine. And I looked at it and go, what the hell is a Buick Allure Super? So I looked mm-hmm. it up. It's like they threw a V8 in this thing. It's like, wow. where's grandpa trying to go? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that is, that's a lot of power for a vehicle that cannot, that doesn't have the suspension to back it up. But yeah, I guess it's like uh, driving a milk bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, that's that, you know, and it's, when you look back, what, what year was it? Was your allure? 2006. 2006. When you look back at General Motors and Ford of 2006 and you think like compared to them, to what they do now and compared to what the Japanese like do now, it's pretty crazy to believe that these cars sold for what they did. Uh, when I look back to the to the early 2000s to like mid 2000s and like the the domestic cars that were produced, if you look at them now 15 years later, they don't they don't they do not they, they do not look good. They did not age well. No, they don't I mean, hold water anymore, man. No, it, it's <laughs> it's so weird and I don't know if it was like 
because hard plastic was like in back then or, you know, gray and brown plastic was in. But I also look at like Japanese made cars and they feel different, like and German cars as well. Like that uh, 2001 Porsche Boxster that I'm talking about, it has a blue interior. It's cool. It's funky. Like, you know, it's it's something interesting. It's not just a mess of bland recycled plastic that's more brittle than, you know, than a cracker. Like it, it actually, it just, I guess that's just one of the interesting quirks of um, of the automotive industry in the, in the, in the mid 2000s. But it, it also, you know, in a good way has brought down the value of a lot of these cars. And there was some proper performance vehicles that came out at that time. I think uh, I was on, I was on marketplace the other day, Facebook marketplace. I saw someone selling a, a four a V6 Ford Mustang. 2006 okay. so it's like the first year of the redesign for two thousand dollars it was automatic yep. sure but if you can buy a mustang for two thousand dollars like it runs um, you know those v6s were pretty pretty uh pretty under like underrated they're 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 just they're meant to last long they're not performance engines but at the end of the day, the body says Mustang the body it looks like a mustang I'm just uh, surprised that uh, that the values have dropped that low. That's probably I can't imagine them going any lower than two grand, but mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe it was a maybe it was a a collision vehicle or something that someone had gone oh. up and made look okay again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually funny you mentioned the value because that Buick. My dad he was working our local Markham uh, Buick GMC Chevrolet, mm-hmm. and he picked it up for I think like three or four grand, and it was wow. the original owner, low low ish miles for. It would have been, say, like a ten-year car, eleven-year-old car, mm-hmm. and it was in perfect running condition. It, it was amazing the value you got for it. And, okay, yeah, it's not a performance car, but it's something comfortable, something reliable, something for two teenagers to zip around in. It was, it was perfect. Like I drove that car down to Pennsylvania with my girlfriend, and it was, really? it was a perfect car. It was a perfect car wow. for it. Yeah, that, that's uh, that. That's what it's got to be, man. Like with with. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the intrinsic value in vehicles. If if you can spend not so much money on a used car and take it down to Pennsylvania without issue, that's mm-hmm. what the freedom that cars provide. People get lost in that when they start comparing statistics and and you know cross shopping. Mm-hmm. But if you get just a, the the safest vehicle you can for the least amount of money you can you can spend, you're going to be happy because yeah. And I think uh, there's a lot of frugal people out there who have figured out that uh, that algorithm that equation. And that's why uh, you'll always have people servicing these cars because they're just worth the money. As a service manager, mm-hmm. sometimes you know I, I have to talk people out of spending four thousand dollars to repair their twenty-year-old car. You would think that would yep. be just a no-brainer, but they 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 see the other side of the of the of the math where it's like I can spend four thousand dollars now and I know my car will last me another three years, or I can spend mm-hmm. fifteen thousand dollars and have a car that lasts me you know, indefinitely until it needs more repair. So it's the Mm -hmm. idea of the known, you know, this vehicle, it's everything is ready to go. It's just a little bit of money you have to put down to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of people make that, uh, make that call. So yeah, it's a, again, I I think uh, the longevity, the, uh, the, um, the idea of sustainability or I guess uh, dependability is what draws people to, keeping older cars just like watches yeah, wow absolutely things, just like watches yeah they, they keep coming back to one another it's like yeah. yeah well they're both mechanical things right i mean yeah. for like at least 
mostly our collections are mechanical, but mm-hmm. you know, it's just surfacing. And this is the same thing with my BMW or my mom's BMW, I should say. It's that my dad and I we keep we keep fixing it, you know, mm-hmm. because we know it's such a great car. Okay, do the oil changes, you get your tires done. If something big happens, sure, we'll take it to the shop. But all the little things that dad, dad and I do, or my brother and my dad do, it's, you know, it's, it's just also, worth it to keep. Exactly, exactly. And it, and it's a project to keep going. I was speaking to my fiance yep. yesterday about that Porsche because she, obviously, she likes the idea way better than the motorcycles. She hates the motorcycles. Yep. Although we did enjoy the Vespa this summer, mm-hmm. and maybe I'll try to keep that one. We'll see. Uh, she doesn't listen to the podcast, so, so I'm safe, but, uh, but, uh, you know, and, and, and she said, well, we got to fix the radio. The radio doesn't work. Of course, you know, here I find this gem, this gem of a vehicle. And because the radio doesn't work, it's like, well, we got to fix the radio before, you know, before we buy it, we have to fix the radio. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll fix the radio. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. We'll get the radio sorted. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I did? Cause I actually, I uh, took the car for her birthday. I brought her to the Van Gogh exhibit, uh, downtown cause you know, the COVID there's not so much to do. So we took the car. I love it. Oh yeah, you got you guys went as well. Yeah, yeah, I it was went, beautiful. Yeah, fantastic. Yep. Did you have the chance to walk, or did you have to drive? We Cause... went. Um, it was before I think. Was it Reading Week? I think it was Reading Week. My mom and I went. We walked through. So oh, we had see. a chance to sit down, and yeah, yeah, it was it was beautiful. I I wish we had the chance to walk um, because I think that that's the best way to to you know embrace that exhibit. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who uh, who don't who don't live in Toronto, um, recently uh, there's been a Van Gogh exhibit. Of, it's like a digital media version of the exhibit where they play almost like an animated version of his art of his uh, of his paintings, and it's like truly beautiful. It goes along with the soundtrack and everything. It's very nice. Um, but at the time that we had gone for my fiance's birthday, they had, it was during a lockdown. So you couldn't walk. You could only bring a vehicle inside and you would sit in your car and enjoy it from, you know, being isolated. Well, smart Anthony thought I can take this Porsche and put the top down and we'd be able to be fully immersed. Cause like it, the lights shoot down on you and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we pull in and, um, they say, you can roll your windows down, but you have to have your masks on. So I said, that's fine. Of course. And then I'd say, can I put the top down? It's like one big window. And they were like, no. <laughs> and then they said, if you oh. check on your ticket stub, it clearly says that all soft tops have to remain in the upward position. I was like, are you kidding me? So I, I didn't argue with them, but you know, I said, look, can you show me where it says that? Because I've thoroughly read my ticket. I didn't, uh, you know, can you show me, you know, where it says that? She comes out, you know, 10 minutes later and shows me clearly it says that. So I said, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I concede. Um, and uh, they had found out at that point that, you know, I, I got the car for my fiance's birthday so we could enjoy it. And it was really nice of them. As we were driving out, uh, they gave my fiance a bag from the, from the gift shop full of oh, Van Gogh nice. merchandise. And it was so nice of them. They didn't have to do that. But they knew that obviously our plans had been thwarted because of COVID. So, yeah, that was, that was really, really nice of them to do. And we still enjoyed it. I mean, I don't recommend taking a, a, a low mid-engine convertible to, a, to the Van Gogh exhibit if the roof is up because you're looking out of essentially a slot. <laughs> yep. It's yeah, difficult, <laughs> difficult to appreciate everything. But, uh, but it was a beautiful exhibit nonetheless. And, um, and sure enough, uh, it, it may have been the first time we got to enjoy uh, the Porsche, uh, potentially our, our, first, uh, our first sports car. 
but the reason I brought up the story is because I didn't want my fiance to know that the radio wasn't working. So I placed my phone covertly <laughs> in the, in the dashboard oh. and just started playing <laughs> jazz music. Uh, but she caught on pretty quick when, uh, when she noticed yeah. the sound coming from one area <laughs> not, and yeah. the radio was blacked. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's just one of those things, I guess. But, um, are you uh, are you following Formula One at all? I feel like we've uh, we've spoken a bit about Formula One. Very briefly, I don't follow it oh, okay. too much. Um, I mean, my my girlfriend's dad really does follow it, so whenever I'm oh, there, okay. you know, I catch glimpses of it. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, with the past semester being so busy and you know school oh, taking yeah. up ninety percent of my time, I actually don't watch much TV at all. Oh really? Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I, I dude, I remember being uh, you know, well, I, I guess I wasn't in my master, so I mean. You take this with a grain of salt, but I remember my last year of university just being like a shotgun. Like I was, I was just completely blocked out of everything. And at that point I was also, did I have the motorcycle? No, no. I bought the bike once I was done as a reward to myself. That was when I bought just a frame and a bunch of parts. It's a terrible idea. Terrible idea. If I could recommend, if I could recommend, uh, you know, motorcycles to anybody, I would say buy one that's put together already and record mm-hmm. yourself taking it apart. What I essentially <laughs> bought was a Lego kit with zero instructions. <laughs> so, and speaking of Lego, I think uh, you recently got uh, what was that? A cityscape uh, as a gift? Yeah, it was uh, the cityscape of uh, San Francisco. And uh, actually, funny story to relate that back to cars. Um, for my graduation, uh, part of my graduation gift, my dad took my brother and I on a road trip from San Francisco down to Los Angeles. Oh, cool. We rented a convertible Mustang and, uh, you know, San Francisco was our first stop. Gorgeous city. If, mm-hmm. Like if you could take that entire road trip, I would highly recommend it. Like even if you could, if you have the time, take it from Vancouver, go down all the way down the West Coast of Mexico. Oh, Because yeah. it is no, a gorgeous drive. Gorgeous drive. You see so many different landscapes, so many cities and, you know, the convertibles, the way to go. With oh, that. sure. Such a fun trip. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's one of the things uh, that we're planning. Uh, at least for for my honeymoon, we're we're thinking of doing something like that. Where because obviously we can't really travel internationally. Um, mm-hmm. But I I've told my fiance I want to rent a car and drive uh, to Alberta. I know that there's a lot of like just barren you know planes to get there. But once we're in Alberta, you <laughs> yeah. drive through. Is I think it's the Rocky Mountains. Uh, yep, the, the, the tie, Yeah. So I'd love mm-hmm. to drive through there and just uh, just to get the, that that feeling um, because. I, I think we're going to be staying domestic, dude. I can't foresee myself, uh, you know, getting on a plane and flying to uh, Italy, which was our original uh, our original destination that we wanted to go, or France even. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, COVID has uh, has unfortunately thwarted so many so many things for so many people. But yeah. uh, we're, we're lucky enough to be in 2021. We made it. We made it. Hopefully, yeah. this year's a lot better. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it will be, brother. Uh, any plans for for the new year? Uh, car watch uh, or just life in general? Uh, I mean, go and finish this semester. It's coming up. Uh, thank God we, we got an extra week of break in Ontario. Yeah, that's um, nice. Yeah. I mean, for most for most universities, so really looking forward to the extra week. But as of right now, just you know, just taking it as it goes. Trying to find a, a summer job at a, at a firm somewhere, either in the GTA or Toronto. And uh, we'll see where that takes me. Nice, dude. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, Andrew, I want to wish you the best of luck in 2021. And I want to thank you for coming out to the show. Uh, we're wrapping up on one hour. I like to keep them 
one hour uh, at this point. You know, I think uh, for most people, tuning into a two-hour podcast takes up a little too much time. But uh, it's been great catching up with you, brother. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with me uh, a little bit about your uh, a, a little bit of your car and watch uh, passion and enthusiasm. It's a great way to start off the year and uh, on a beautiful Saturday morning. Um, to our listeners, thank you for listening in. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think you'll be hearing more, uh, from myself and potentially Andrew, maybe we'll have you on a podcast with Mikey and we'll, all three of us will catch up. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, guys, guys, you know where to find us, uh, on, uh, on Instagram and on Spotify. I'll say once again, thank you to Andrew for coming on the show. Thanks, Dan. Anytime, anytime, brother. And, uh, everyone have a safe and enjoyable 2021. Happy new year. Happy New Year.